minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. A lockout will not stop us from delivering terrific, outstanding Orioles content directly to your screens. Well, it won't stop us from delivering content. I I think people can use their own adjectives there. I I don't know if we can promise all of those those fantastic adjectives that you threw out, but I would like to think that we can. Yeah, I mean, look, you're going to get the same quality podcast, you know? It's right. not like we're going to up our quality right. during the lockout, but, you know, we'll get creative. Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with some clever things to talk about. Whatever you thought the bar was for this podcast, just... Keep it right it where it is. right there. It is neutral. It's a limbo game that the bar never goes down. It we just won't stays. raise the bar. We just we just won't lower it. Yeah. Where does that expression come from, do you think, Brendan? Raising the bar? I don't know. AT&T Somebody who's commercials? Just, AT, I, it's got to be <laughs> before AT&T commercials. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds to me like that phrase originated in 2003. Were AT&T commercials first a thing in 2003? Just I'd like to think there were probably ones before that. Yeah, and I think the phrase predates that I'm no, just, I'm uh, almost definitely making jokes probably like the first time somebody made a graph i think what they should say is lower the bar because you're lowering the limbo bar right and that's, and that's the metaphor e- i'd that's like to easier, stay with well you easier go under, to get over harder to get under when have you ever gone over a limbo bar have you been to a wedding yes <laughs> you yes, know I have. limbo the point of limbo is you well, go right. under the bar but depending on how you want to describe the bar the goal could either be to get over the bar or if in, it's in limbo, in no game, you go under the bar. In no game of limbo would you ever need to go over the bar, I assure you. I'm it's not, not talking about limbo. It's not a hurdle. We're not talking about limbo. We are talking about bars in general. A bar. Sometimes you need to go over it. Sometimes you need to go to it with friends. Maybe through it. You're going through a bar? I don't know. We're saying stuff. All right. Uh, well, welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast. Uh, we are going to be talking about creative trades. We've got a little tr- create a trade game that we teased two weeks ago. Couldn't do it last week because of all the news that broke. But we got to get to something first, Brendan, because shortly after we recorded that podcast, about 13, 12 hours after we recorded that podcast, the Orioles made a roster move that has not become official yet. But they agreed to terms with Jordan Lyles, and they got this deal in reportedly right before the buzzer of the 12 o'clock deadline for the lockout to begin. Yeah, it was announced, I think, after the lockout deadline. Yeah. So the joke was that it wasn't a real signing at that point. But yeah, Jordan Lyles to the Orioles. Ken Rosenthal reporting that it's a one-year deal with a $5.5 million base salary, gets a $500,000 signing bonus, and there's an $11 million club option for 2023 with a $1 million buyout. And I'm assuming there's also probably incentives if he gets traded. That was not reported, but that's just kind of my assumption because that's what the Orioles have done with a lot of their recent signings. I think he gets a $500,000 bonus if he's traded at any point during the life of the contract. Okay. From what I've seen. So that means 
if he's traded this year, he gets $500,000. And if he, they pick up his option next year and then he gets traded next year, that $500,000 bonus kicks in anyway. I, looking at that option, I tend to think that an $11 million club option for the Orioles in 2023 is probably not going to be something that the Orioles pick up, but that's down the road. Unless he has a career year. Yeah, I don't think they're probably going to keep Jordan Lyles on for an $11 million contract. And the contract by itself is interesting too, as this is the largest contract that yeah. has been handed out by Mike Elias in his Orioles era. And I think we're all surprised that that largest contract is going to Jordan Lyles. Well, yeah. So he's a 31-year-old consistent starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. He's not elite by any stretch. He's not a top end of the rotation guy. He's bounced around from team to team. Former first-round pick in 2008 by Houston. There was a two-year overlap where Mike Elias was in Houston and Jordan Lyles was there as well. He's been around for 11 years his career numbers, a 521 ERA with a 1.453 whip and under 7 Ks per nine. So you look at those numbers, Brendan, not a top end of the rotation guy, but for $7 million, I don't think that's ridiculous. I no. saw a lot of people that were complaining about the amount of money spent, but it is the largest contract Michael Elias has handed out. And I think our perception is, is changed because our perspective has changed over the past few years because the Orioles just have not given a lot of money to outside free agents. They gave Freddie Galvis $1.5 million last offseason. That was the biggest deal that they made all offseason. Matt Harvey was a, a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. Felix Hernandez, the same. Tommy Malone, the same. Michael Franco, I believe, was just under a million dollars to play third base last spring training. Uh, Jose Iglesias, the most that they gave him was $3 million, I believe, with a $3.5 million option for the 2021 season. So this is literally more than double the next closest contract that Michael Elias has handed out. So we're just not used to seeing the Orioles hand out $7 million. But to me, this is the going rate for the kind of pitcher that you're going to get with Jordan Lyles. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of Orioles fans seem to talk about the fact that the Orioles don't really spend money and then the Orioles spend money on a starting pitcher that is going to help the team and then the money was not spent correctly. Right. So they are spending money. This is what you wanted them to do. Jordan Lyles, ideally, if you were signing him to a $7 million deal, is probably not going to be your number two starter. That's probably what he will operate as for the Orioles this season. As you see his 2021 stats with Texas in 32 games, he pitched 180 innings. The ERA at 515 is not great. However, the 180 innings is what is so valuable about Jordan Lyles. And that is exactly what the Orioles need at this point. The bullpen was really hurt last year by having a bunch of starting pitchers outside of John Means that could not consistently go deep into games to the point where Brandon Hyde was having to mix and match his bullpen so much where he didn't have any consistent bullpen arms because they were either overworked or were put in situations that did not work for them because they were forced to. Yeah, Jordan Lyles, you are getting a guy who has been healthy for the bulk of his career and is going to make a turn every five days, five or six days in that rotation. 
Like you mentioned, those 32 games that he pitched in in 2021. 2022 was obviously a shortened season, but he had 12 appearances that year. 2019 made 28 starts. 2018 appeared in 35 games. He's been used as a reliever at points over the course of his career, but pretty much this deal, this, the amount of money that the Orioles are dedicating to this deal and where their needs line up, to me, tells me he's going to be a starter. But starting pitchers in general are expensive in baseball. We just saw how much Max Scherzer got from the New York Mets, and obviously Scherzer is a future Hall of Famer, but he's a 36, 37-year-old starter, and he's costing that team, what are they paying him? 40-some, about $40 million a year. Jordan Lyles is $7 million a year. That is a significant drop-off, and obviously because the production is a huge drop-off, I get that. But the Orioles are paying that money for a guy that they can count on to make regular turns in the rotation. That 180 innings, that would have led the Orioles in 2021, or yeah, in 2021, by a large margin. Yeah. More than John Means, more than Matt Harvey. And I know that the quality of the innings is also what's important. It's not just that you throw a lot of innings. But the Orioles did not have somebody who could make regular starts and go fairly deep into games in 2021, and I would argue that significantly hurt not just the rest of the rotation, but the bullpen as well. We look back to 2019, which was Michael Elias's first year, Brandon Hyde's first year, new regime. The Orioles had Dylan Bundy that year, who made 30 starts, pitched 161 innings. In 2020, the shortened season, they had Alex Cobb make 10 starts, 52 innings pitch when John Means was hurt and could not make one out of every, uh, you know, could not make every start in that season. And they didn't have a pitcher like that. They didn't have a Dylan Bundy or an Alex Cobb in 2021. The closest thing to a workhorse was Matt Harvey, who made every start until the end of the season, but pitched only 127 innings. And I know we don't look back on Dylan Bundy's 2019 and Alex Cobb's 2020 and in very fondly and say those guys were terrific those years because they weren't. But the important thing was they were making regular starts they were going fairly deep into games, and they were making life easier for Brandon Hyde and for the rest of the pitching staff, not just the rotation, but the bullpen as well. So even though the quality of innings is not excellent, they were giving you innings, which is a huge benefit for a rebuilding team who has so few legitimate long-term answers at the major league level right now. Well, the quality of innings may not be excellent, but he is A, pitching a lot of them, like you said, and B, he very rarely lost you games in 2021. Yes, he had a 515 ERA, but first, you mentioned the 180 innings that he pitched, the second highest on the Orioles. You mentioned John Means. Excuse me, the leader for the Orioles last year was John Means at 146 and two-thirds innings. Just three pitchers in Baltimore through at least 100 innings last year. So Jordan Lyles is already by far pacing Orioles pitchers from last season. But he's also not losing you games, which is important. Yes, the 515 ERA is not great, but he allowed more than five runs in just five of his 32 starts. In 23 of his 32 starts last season, he allowed four runs or fewer. So very rarely was he losing you games he was getting you into the sixth or seventh inning. And if your starting pitcher is allowing four runs through six innings, you're in that baseball game solidly. Yeah. 
And then you can also turn to high leverage relievers in that situation. You can actually pitch Tyler Wells where you want to pitch Tyler Wells instead of having to throw him out in the fifth inning because you have no other bullpen arms that haven't pitched the last 17 games. Yeah. Jordan Lyles is going to keep you in a lot of games and he is going to keep your bullpen a lot more fresh than they were last year. And to me, that's well worth $7 million. Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing. The Orioles may not have to pay the entirety of that $7 million. They may end up paying the $500,000 bonus by midseason because they get a little break on his contract because they're able to trade him to a team. Because Jordan Lyles has a huge... brings a lot to the Orioles in terms of veteran presence and innings. But he could also bring something to a competitive team because injuries happen over the course of seasons and teams are always, always looking for starting pitching depth at the trade deadline. And it doesn't have to be a Max Scherzer. It doesn't have to be a Garrett Cole, an elite pitcher that's dealt at the deadline. There's a market for these second tier or third tier starters. Look at Andrew Heaney last year who was dealt from the Angels to the Yankees midseason that first half of the season with the angels 527 era he was an impending free agent and yet the angels were still able to get a major league player a minor league player and cash from the yankees if the orioles are able to do that jordan lyles doesn't have to go out there and pitch like an ace for the orioles to get something from him at the deadline the most important thing is he comes out and makes every start doesn't get hurt and pitches around a 5 ERA, and there will be a trade market for that guy. And at that point in the season, I think the Orioles are hoping that the likes of Zach Lowther, Mike Bauman, Alexander Wells, maybe even Kevin Smith or Kyle Bradish, will be ready to take his spot in the rotation. So it's not even that high of a risk in terms of this $7 million. It's a worthwhile investment, and it's not, odds are, it's not going to blow up in your face and make it look like a huge waste of money. Yeah, you mentioned all those pitching prospects that have the potential to be good in a year or two, but that's just it. They have the potential to be good in a year or two. And Nathan on Facebook makes a good point where this is not a long-term solution kind of signing. This is a probably a placeholder who will help the bullpen, and that's exactly it. You need somebody who is going to eat innings this year and doesn't lose you games and helps out the bullpen. And by the way, that 515 ERA that was not all that great, that would be third best among Orioles starting pitchers last year behind John Means and Bruce Zimmerman, who only made 13 starts. And if he makes more than 13 starts, his ERA very well could have been higher than 515. Yeah, and how many guys went consistently deep? John Means went deep into games, but he wasn't healthy. Matt Harvey was healthy, but he didn't go deep into games. Jordan Lyles last year pitched at least six innings in 18 of his 32 starts. So if he can do that for the Orioles, that would just be a huge, huge benefit. And I don't think that the Orioles are per se done adding to this rotation. To me, I could see them adding at least one guy, maybe on a minor league contract. We still have Matt Harvey on our free agency bracket who is still alive. He still has not been signed by a team. I could see them bringing him back and giving him a chance to earn a spot in the rotation. They could also sign somebody else to a major league contract. When this lockout ends and the free agency freeze is done with in February or whenever it'll be, there will be a scramble for all these remaining free agents, and the Orioles may be able to get somebody on the cheap to add to this rotation. But for now, Jordan Lyles, to me, 
fits right in behind John Means as your number two starter. Yeah, and just to continue with that innings comparison there, Jordan Lyles threw at least five complete innings in 25 of his 32 starts. Yeah. John Means threw five innings 21 times. Matt Harvey did it 11 times. And Jorge Lopez did it nine times. So Jordan Lyles threw at least five innings more than Matt Harvey and Jorge Lopez combined last year. Yeah. Now, it's not all great. And the biggest concern, I think, for me would be he gives up a lot of home runs. He does. And that is going to be bad for Oriole Park at Camden Yards as our free agency bracket just looks like it's about to fall down. So I'm going to keep my hand on it yeah, that's, for the rest of the time. That's a good call. Um, but essentially, he he's pitching in a pretty big ballpark in Texas last year Yeah, in their new Globe Life field. And Camden Yards is going to be a little bit worse. He did lead... <laughs> I'm going to take this down. Uh, he did lead... Um, Major League Baseball in runs allowed last year, in part because he was making so many starts. Uh, but that that could be an issue when it comes to Camden Yards. Yeah, he led all of baseball in home runs allowed last year, like you said. He led the entire American League in earned runs. So that's not great. And again, he is playing at a pitcher-friendly ballpark in Texas, which does not leave a lot to be desired when you are moving to play at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So we know he can give you the quantity in terms of innings pitched. The question becomes, what is that quality going to be? And it's hard to tell what the difference is between a pitcher-friendly ballpark in Texas versus a very much not pitcher-friendly ballpark at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I feel like it's the John Gray discussion when we were talking about him in our free agency bracket where he was pitching in Colorado for so long that it's hard to tell how he's going to pitch somewhere else. Yeah. Whereas Jordan Lyles, he pitches in a pitcher-friendly ballpark for so long that, well, not for so long, in 2021, he pitches there and you wonder how that's going to translate to other ballparks like Camden Yards that is going to allow a lot of home runs. And I think it'll be interesting to see the kind of pitches that he throws as well because his best season came in 2019 when he split the year between the Pirates and the Brewers. Made 28 starts, had a 4.15 ERA, 9.3 Ks per nine, which was a very high number for him. And he was using his fastball, which was very effective back then. Opponents hit just 235 against it that year. 2020 and 2021 was a very different story for his fastball. Opponents hit 330 against his fastball in 2020 and 298 against his fastball in 2021. So he had to use his slider a whole lot more in 2021 with Texas. So whether the Orioles try to rediscover his fastball, whether they lean more into that slider and use that as his effective off-speed pitch, we'll see. Uh, But I think the Orioles probably have some ideas. Considering Michael Elias watched this guy up up close and personal in Houston, I think they have some ideas for Chris Holt and for the coaching staff of how they can effectively use Jordan Lyles this year. Yeah, and a comment on YouTube also pointing out more quality starts for Jordan Lyles than John Means, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, that, I mean, that's because of the amount of starts right. he was making mostly. Right. Um, so let us know what you think of the Jordan Lyles signing. Of course, we will continue to take comments about that throughout the show. But Brendan, we got a create your own trade game. We did. That we have to play. We have to play it because I think if we wait any longer, I will forget all of the trades that I proposed and came up with and made horrible hypotheticals for Yes. Do you want to start us off? We have three teams each 
that we drew out of a jar two weeks ago. And essentially, we're looking at these six teams and saying, what deal do we think the Orioles could realistically make with this team? We're not going to say, if somebody pulled the Angels, we weren't going to say Mike Trout for, you know, Matt Harvey, even though he's not on the the roster. But, you know, we're not going ridiculous right the orioles would never do that let's not be ridiculous (laughs) uh so let us know if you would do that deal if and essentially who says no do the orioles say no do the opposing team say no brendan who's your first team and what's your first trade oh i'm starting with a doozy paul all right i'm starting with one where orioles fans will probably yell at us in the comment section and please if you'd like to yell at me and tell me this trade is horrible let me know the orioles receive from the arizona diamondbacks Cattell Marte. Whoa. And in return, the Arizona Diamondbacks get Jordan Westberg. Yeah. And Taryn Vavra. Which hurts. However. Yeah. You are getting Cattell Marte, who has struggled with injuries, but plays at an absolutely elite level when he is healthy. He only played 90 games in 2021. But he had a 377 on base percentage, a 909 OPS and a war close to two. He can play second base, shortstop, or center field. And at just 28 years old, he automatically becomes another centerpiece on this team alongside Cedric Mullins, who is already on the roster. And he is currently on a five-year, $24 million deal, which is a bargain and a half with team options for both 2023 and 2024. Giving up Jordan Westberg and Taryn Vavra hurts, but Cattell Marte automatically, he, he probably plays second base given that his second position is center field and Cedric Mullins has locked that down. He locks down second base for years to come and he is also probably the two hitter in your lineup for a long time. Yeah. And just imagine, Paul, a top three in your lineup of Cedric Mullins, Cattell Marte, and Adley Rutschman. If we're asking who says no, I think the Diamondbacks say Probably no. the Diamondbacks because of the contract. But and they're in a rebuild. The Orioles, obviously, for obvious reasons, are probably not going to make a trade like this, where they're giving up on a prospect that they took with a second round, first round pick in Jordan Westberg a year and a half ago. However, I'll entertain it, Brendan. Everybody hates it. Everybody hates it, I'm sure. Yeah. I honestly think the Diamondbacks say no because of how cheap and young Cattell Marte is. Yes. And I know that he had that top three MVP season a couple years ago. I don't know if he's ever going to reach that level of production again, but there's a chance he will. And for the amount of money that they're paying him with those cheap, cheap team options in 23 and 24 that get him into what is age 30 season. I mean, that's you keep that guy around. And Jordan Westberg, even though he's a, t- a fringe top 100 prospect, I think we'll probably see his name in the top 100 prospect list at some point over the course of the 2022 season. He's still a somewhat a question mark. And we like Taron Vavra, but Taron Vavra is outside of the Orioles' top 10 prospect lists. And Cattell Marte is good and real right now yeah for them you're not going to get Cattell Marte without giving up a prospect that is at least very close to the top 100 prospects like Jordan Westberg is I agree with you where I think if one side of the deal says no it's probably the Diamondbacks however I think the Orioles are closer to being competitive than the Diamondbacks are I think Arizona is further away 
And if they want to continue to kind of stack their own deck in terms of being competitive a few years down the line where the Orioles might be a little bit closer on that timeline, maybe they consider it. It's creative. Marte was floated around at the deadline pretty consistently last year in terms of potentially getting traded to a contender that could use him and continue to use him for the next few years. So it's not like the rumors haven't been out there about Cattell Marte. Right, and the argument you could make about why the Orioles might say no to a deal like that is because Jordan Westberg, while there are still question marks, like I said, fringe top 100 prospect. He's going to be a rookie in 2022 or 2023 can play shortstop at the major league level, according to a lot of scouts, can bounce between shortstop and second base, can be a third baseman down the line eventually. Very good defensive and offensive all-around player. I think that the Orioles want to hold on to this guy and see what he can become. Yeah. So, interesting trade, Brendan. Clever. I'm going to start with the Oakland A's for my trade. And A's right now were an interesting draw because they're looking to shed salary. And we know that they have a lot of young, movable pieces that they're probably going to deal to contenders. So you look at guys like Matt Chapman, Sean Manaya, Frankie Montas, Chris Bassett, Matt Olson. those five guys, I would tend to think are going to be, if they're going to be dealt, they're going to be dealt to the Yankees, the Red Sox, the real contenders near the top of the standings in the American League or the National League. I don't think the Orioles are going to be players for those guys. However... But imagine Matt Olson. Imagine Matt Just Olsen. hitting dingers onto Utah Street. It just doesn't quite line up with the Orioles' timeline because the, they're looking to shed salary, so the Orioles would have to give up prospects. But imagine... And there's no reason to give up prospects for guys who are 28, 29. I mean, Matt, o- Matt Chapman is going to be 29 next year, and he's only under control through 2023. So, like, these guys are just a little bit outside of the Orioles' window in terms of age and in terms of contract length. However, there was one name that was floated around by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic that perked my ears up, Brendan, as an available part. That would be catcher Sean Murphy. A pretty good young catcher for the Oakland A's, and my deal has the Orioles sending Ramon Urias and Cash the Oakland A's for catcher Sean Manaya. And my question for you Sean is... Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy. Sean Manaya. Yeah, sorry. Different. Sean Manaya's pitcher. Uh, for Sean Murphy, my question for you, Brendan. Who says no? I think the A's say no. I- I'm probably higher on Sean Murphy than most. I think he is one of the better young catchers in the American League. If not the, not the best young catcher in the American League, but he's up there. I think that probably says more about the quality of catchers in the American League at this point. But Sean Murphy is very good, and I think he probably commands more than Ramon Arias and Cash. Unless this is a ton of cash. I think <laughs> I think it takes a better I think it takes a good prospect yeah. to get Sean Murphy. I thought about adding a prospect. To me, I thought about adding Tyler Nevin, honestly, because... I think it might take more than Nevin. Maybe I'm just too no, high mean, on Sean Murphy. Urias and Nevin. Yeah. So essentially, I think that deal would allow the A's to get a major leaguer now in Urias. And then if they end up trading a Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, you know, they have a corner guy who can play first, theoretically third, and one of the outfield corner spots who's young and cheap in Nevin that they could fill in there. But 
who Sean Murphy is for fans who don't really know, 27-year-old, excellent defensive catcher, had 2.7 baseball reference war and 5.4 war, according to Fangraphs, in 2021. He's not an excellent offensive catcher at this point yet in his career, but he is still fairly young. Ramon Arias, of course, on the other side, same age, 27 years old, had that 774 OPS last year, 1.9 baseball reference war. Uh, He can play anywhere in the infield. And the reason the Orioles might make this deal is because they have other guys who are coming up through their system, like a Jordan Westberg, like a Gunnar Henderson, that they want to see soon. And they figure Arias just doesn't really have a spot right now. And maybe he maxed out his potential in 2021. And that's the best we'll see from him. And in terms of Murphy, while the Orioles would want him, great defensive catcher. We know they have Adley Rutschman, but they currently have no catchers on the 40-man roster. So you could make the argument that they could go the cheap veteran route for the next few years to back up Adley Rutschman, sign guys to a one- or two-year deal every year to get a cheap veteran. That's certainly a way that a lot of teams have, have built that backup catcher spot. Or you could say, get somebody who's a little bit older and cheap like an Adley Rutschman, who can give Adley Rutschman a legitimate backup for years to come. We don't have to worry about this position going forward. And if we want to give Adley Rutschman a day off, we're comfortable doing that with him still winning. If we want to you know, have Adley play first base or DH every now and again, it, it takes the burden off of Adley. So the Orioles could go that route as well. That would also just be... It would almost put the Orioles in a weird position where... You want to play both Sean Murphy and Adley Rutschman. And of the two of them, Adley Rutschman is the better hitter, where I think they're pretty comparable defensively because that has always been Sean Murphy's calling card. So would it get to the point where Adley Rutschman just isn't catching all that much because you play him at kind of that first base DH hybrid? Yeah. It, that That's my question because Sean Murphy you want in the lineup somewhere because of how good defensively he is at that catcher spot. And it almost limits you a little bit if you're the Orioles because you obviously want Adley Rutschman in the lineup as well. So it kind of I don't know forces it, him into that DH spot because Sean Murphy is too good to be a backup. I don't think it forces him. I think Adley, he's probably could too good to be a backup, but you can't have enough good catchers. And you, you can't, but... I would say he is most definitely too good to be a backup. But look at the great team. If the Orioles want to build a great team, look at the Dodgers. There are a lot of guys that were relegated to the bench or to utility roles that were too good. Chris Taylor was like a utility player for them last year, and he's too good to be a backup. So, you know, that's a move that you probably make down the line if you're really looking to get over the hump. But, you know, I don't think that this trade, this type of trade would go down because uh, somebody, uh, I think Nathan on Facebook saying, uh, throw in Toby Welk as, a, as an Whoa, extra piece. let's not get crazy. Uh, I think that there's enough market, if they do end up trading Murphy, that a team will look to trade for Murphy as a starter, like you said. I think that other teams don't have Adley Rutschman's in their systems yeah. and say this is the be- one of the good young catchers in the game. Well, that's the thing. I think if somebody hears that Sean Murphy is available for Ramona Rios in cash, somebody shells out to get Sean Murphy to be their starting catcher for the foreseeable future because he's an upgrade in pretty much ev- everywhere else in the American League. Yeah. Maybe besides Baltimore with Adley Rutschman in a year. Yeah. Uh, well, Kansas City... Kansas City, but I mean, you'd even start Sean Murphy at catcher in Kansas City and put Salvador Perez to DH, DH probably because Perez is not a good defensive catcher yeah. at this point, and he's getting up there. All right, what's your next trade, Brandon? 
Next trade is is definitely more realistic, and I think every Orioles fan is is going to be mad at me in the comments once again because the Orioles on the surface are not getting much return for this trade. However, okay. in a trade to the Chicago White Sox, the Orioles send Anthony Santander and receive Blake Rutherford. Rutherford is the White Sox 23rd ranked prospect, according to the MLB Pipeline. He's a former top high schooler and 18th overall pick. He is 24 now and just hasn't really panned out at the major league level. The Orioles can give him an opportunity in right field to prove that former top billing, whereas the White Sox really can't afford to do that as they are trying to make a playoff push and trying to be competitive in the American League. Santander gives the White Sox an, a pretty much an immediate upgrade at their DH spot. Right now, the White Sox are kind of floating between Eloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn. And right now, they both have to start in the corner outfield, neither of which are good fielders. Andrew Vaughn was drafted as a first baseman, and they just kind of threw him out there to see if he could play a corner outfield. Eloy Jimenez is much more suited to be a DH than he is to be a defensive left fielder. So Anthony Santander probably gives you a defensive upgrade immediately at either of those spots. And for the Orioles, it just clears your outfield a little bit more because Anthony Santander more than likely is not going to start over somebody like Kyle Stowers in a year. When he comes up and is ready to go, Kyle Stowers will probably be handed the keys to right field. And maybe this is an opportunity for the Orioles to give somebody like Rutherford a chance, see if he can pan out. And if not, you are still left with a good rotation of outfielders for this year between Rutherford and Ryan McKenna. And then once Kyle Stowers comes up, that's probably your starter. But Anthony Santander, you don't really have to figure out where he fits if you're Baltimore and you're given somebody who has a chance to work into that rotation a little bit better. I think the Orioles say no because Rutherford just has not been good enough over the past few years. 690 OPS, and I know he's 24 years old, but those were his numbers at AAA Charlotte last year in 115 games. Anthony Santander had better numbers at the big league level. And Anthony Santander, we've talked about the warts that he has, but... To me, Rutherford is not exactly a suitable return for a a guy who still has the ability to hit 25 home runs from, you know, and can bat from both sides of the plate, is an okay defender in right field. And the other question is, if you're wanting to clear out that space for Kyle Stowers and for the Colton Cowsers down the line, getting another outfield prospect doesn't solve that to me. It doesn't, but I think Rutherford has the higher ceiling, which is why I picked him to make this deal with for Chicago. Because I think if you're Baltimore, you opt for the younger outfielder with a higher ceiling than Anthony Santander, who has struggled with injuries, and you kind of know what you have at this point. But what you have is much better than what I think Rutherford's ceiling is, to be honest. Maybe. I don't think think Rutherford is going to be a guy who hits who produces to the level that, I mean, he hit only 11 home runs last year uh, for Charlotte's AAA affiliate. So he's just, he's like a worse, to me, a worse Tyler Nevin (laughs) almost. And to me, that's not, Tyler Nevin is, odds are not going to have as good a career as Anthony Santander has had so far. And Santander is still only 27 years old at this point. So 
I, I don't think the Orioles, I think if they are looking to trade Anthony Santander, I think they can get back a little bit more than that. I think you potentially could. I just think there are more benefits potentially to Rutherford. I think there's a chance the Orioles say no to this deal as well. But realistically, I also don't think Anthony Santander commands all that much as a zero war player last year. I agree. In in which case I think I would make the case if this is if this is what teams are offering for him, just hold on to him. Just hold on to him and see if he can boost his value a little bit more in 2022. That would be yeah. my strategy. Well, maybe this is a deadline deal. I don't know. I, I just don't think Anthony Santander commands all that much in a trade at this point. I know what he did in the shortened season, but given a full year last year, he couldn't stay healthy and was a replacement level player. Yeah. All right. Well, my next trade includes Anthony Santander as well. And oh I'm curious to see if this value is of equal value to what you just offered, lesser value, greater value. We'll see. My team was the Washington Nationals, who are going through their own rebuild at the time being. They are, of course, much earlier in their rebuild than the Orioles are. However, they have a few foundational pieces. So the question is, are the Nationals willing to shell out the money and prospects that it'll take to try to compete somewhat in a murky NL East in 2022? Or are they comfortable not being competitive this year and wasting a year of Juan Soto and Josh Bell? If Mike Rizzo decides... They can kind of sneak their way and cheaply build a competitive team in D.C. for 2022. Maybe they make a sort of win-now move by trading for Anthony Santander. They have a need in the outfield. They have Juan Soto locking down one spot. Center field with Lane Thomas is mostly taken care of, and they have Victor Robles if he's going to come back. But that third outfield spot is still wide open. They have Yadiel Hernandez, who's like 34, who can't really play there. So unless they want Josh Bell out there, they need a corner outfielder. Anthony Santander would fit that bill for them, still only 27 years old, and they could get him fairly cheaply. And the return I have them giving the Orioles, Brendan, is a former top prospect, former top 100 prospect who has fallen on hard times, and that is Carter Keboom. It's Carter Keboom going to the Baltimore Orioles in addition to two international prospects. So, Carter Keboom, you're taking a flyer on this third baseman who has uh, not produced at the major league level the past couple years, but you're getting two international prospects. And we've seen Michael Elias make deals like this before where they get two throw-ins. The Nationals have a much better international system than the Orioles do. And the Orioles are looking to build that by trade, by signing, whatever way necessary. Keyboom is 24 years old. He's just a career 197 hitter in the big leagues. Eight homers, 589 career OPS. Former top 100 prospect. And to me, the reason I could see the Nationals wanting to trade him is because he's had his issues defensively at third. And I think that he's a fresh start candidate. He's a new start candidate. A guy who give him a change of scenery and he could produce a whole lot better. Uh, I, I know when <laughs> you drew the Nationals... Carter Keeboom was the name that I jumped to in my head in terms of somebody that the Nationals could potentially move. You have Carter Keeboom and two recent international signings going to the Orioles for Anthony Santander. I think that's a bit too much value for Santander. So I think the Nationals say no here. Okay. I think if I think if you won, <laughs> I think if you flipped it, I think if you went Carter Keeboom for Santander 
and either two bad prospects or two what? random international no. signings. Carter Keboom has been bad. I get it. But he is still a 24-year-old former top prospect who has a lot more potential than somebody like Anthony Santander. I, I, I At some point over the last year, you lost a lot of faith in, faith in Anthony Santander. I know that he has he was a point two baseball reference war player last year. I get it. I know he's had injuries over the course of his career. He was the 2020 most valuable Oriole, Brendan. I know he that was. does. He has a career 744 OPS, and he's turning 27 this year. This is less of a reflection about Anthony Santander and more of the fact that I don't think the Nationals are ready to give up on Carter Keboom at this point. That's the they're, thing. They're That's in a the... rebuild. He's 24 years old. He's your former top prospect consistently in their system. I There's nobody banging at the door for the Nationals at this point ready to take third base away from Carter Keboom. I know they drafted Brady House, but he's not going to be in the majors for a few years. So Carter Keboom, I think you need to give him a chance at least for another year if you're the Washington Nationals. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably what, what stops it. I don't think they're ready to give up on him either. This is a, right. in a world where they are because I think that there there is a case to be made that you know, he would probably succeed in a different environment. The coaches have worked with him a lot, and he has not improved enough defensively to the point where they're comfortable with him. They weren't fully comfortable even using him at the end of last year uh, as an everyday third baseman. So uh, he's still intriguing, um, but I think that the the maybe if the Nationals sign a third baseman, in the free agency market, if they if they talk themselves into competing in 2022, that's maybe where I could see them moving on. But it, yeah, internally, I get it. They, they don't really have a replacement for him inside their own system. Which is why I think it would take more than just Anthony Santander to get you Carter Keboom. Right. That's not necessarily a reflection of the fact that I think at this point, Carter Keboom is a better player than Anthony Santander because I don't think he is. But the Keboom ceiling is certainly higher than Santander's especially yeah. at a more valuable position in the infield, whereas Santander is playing a mediocre defensive right field at this point. The, one more thing. The, the ceiling is higher for Kibum, but it's much less likely that he hits it. Yes, and much less likely that he hits it than it was a year yeah. or two ago when he was one of the better prospects in baseball. He yeah. was one of the better infield prospects around the league. We're 42 minutes into this podcast. Let's speed this up, Brendan. What's yeah, your next game? <laughs> uh, my next deal was with the Tampa Bay Rays, okay. which was really interesting because the Orioles have claimed, I think, every pitcher mm -hmm. that the Rays have waived this year. So you have to figure out if the Rays would be interested in some Orioles players. And this was an interesting one because there are a few Orioles pitchers that are stuff guys that have really struggled with command. Yeah. And something just tells me that the Tampa Bay Rays would be the team to take on these guys and just turn them into great pitchers because that seems to be the thing that the Tampa Bay Rays could do. So here's the trade ball. The Tampa Bay Rays receive Dean Kramer and Tanner Scott. And in return, the Orioles get Brendan McKay which is probably lofty. Yeah. And I don't think the Rays realistically do it. And it was, it's just kind of fun to imagine Dean Kramer and Tanner Scott uh, in Tampa Bay because of what they've been able to do with pitchers. McKay made his debut in 2019 at age 23. 
he has not pitched all that well so far. He had a 514 ERA in 13 games. He has struggled with injuries over the last few years. He pitched just seven games in double A and had an ERA close to eight this year, but he still has a ton of potential. He has a good four pitch mix. He also has the potential to be a two-way player, which could be kind of cool. He's a pretty good hitter. He has been a two-way player at the major league level as well. So, you know, that could be fun at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And the Rays get two young pitchers who have flashed a ton of stuff and have just not been able to put everything together. And maybe Tampa Bay sees the potential there and thinks that they can fix a Dean Kramer and a Tanner Scott. And maybe they have enough starting pitching where Brendan McKay, even though he is one of their better pitching prospects, they have enough young starters in that rotation where they can afford to give up McKay for two projects from the Orioles that could pan out in a big way in Kramer and Tanner Scott. Interesting. And I will say the Rays always make moves that we question in the offseason and draws concern I think from a lot of people from the outside of the organization and then they end up making them look great this would probably categorize as one of those moves yeah Nathan on Facebook says Scott immediately becomes a 40 save closer and Kramer has a sub two ERA in Tampa (laughs) yeah um because the Rays just seem to do that yeah they do um Brendan McKay though interestingly enough is almost similar to Dean Kramer I know he doesn't he has much he had had much more clout as a prospect but similar to Dean Kramer in that he really has not been very good the last few years. And that he is a bounce back kind of change of scenery candidate as well, similar to Dean Kramer. So the Orioles would have to believe that they have something that they're getting a a high ceiling guy, but they have to believe that they have something in their system that could fix a Brandon McKay. Right. So it would take a little bit of buy-in from both the Rays to buy in that they can make Dean Kramer work, and it would take some buy-in from the Orioles to believe they can make McKay work. Well, and part of the issues with McKay have been injuries, so that's not really a Dean Kramer situation where you need to fix the command with Brendan McKay. You just need to have him stay on the field, and then you can see what you have at that point. Right. It would be it would be interesting. I don't think the Orioles are willing to give up on Dean Kramer yet. I don't think so either, uh, because he flashed so much against those the Yankees and Red Sox in those starts in 2020. And yeah. he had a, a nightmare season in 2021, uh, you know, by all accounts. However, there's still a lot of reason to believe that he can bounce back. So right. as there is with Brendan McKay, though. So on both sides, you have to be willing to part with a pitching prospect that has a pretty high ceiling. Right. Tanner Scott is also arbitration eligible. We know the Rays are always looking to shed money. Maybe they don't want to shed out the, what, $1 million that he's due in arbitration this year. Yeah. But they can take, the Rays, I was looking at their stats the other day. They used like 50 pitchers in 2021, and they still had an excellent uh, pitching staff that didn't even include really any aces. Their best pitcher was like Tyler Glass now who pitched in 11 games. It's ridiculous the kind of system that they have that can turn anybody into good pitchers. Yeah. And I think the Orioles are trying to build something like that. So um, that's that's clever. I could see all kinds of machinations between an Orioles and Rays trade. They, these teams have made trades recently. You know, it's not, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility. These two teams have made deals. Sean Armstrong, wasn't he dealt to the Rays? Yep. It uh, would just be a giant analytics fist fight. 
because yeah. these are two teams that rely so heavily on analytics, especially in terms of pitching, where it would almost be funny to see <laughs> which team thinks that they know more about pitching analytics yes, than the other. Exactly. Uh, well, interesting. My final trade for you, Brendan, involves the World Series champion Atlanta Braves. Oh, my. Yeah. And I was looking at this. And this is a tough one because Atlanta doesn't really, as most reigning World Series champions, don't have a whole lot of holes. I mean, they could really maybe use another starter because uh, Charlie Morton got hurt in the World Series. They could maybe use a little bit of bullpen help, but so could every team. They've got to re-sign some free agents is probably their biggest hole at this yes. point. Yeah, I mean, it, if they bring, obviously, if they bring Freddie Freeman back, what real need could you see on this team? Yeah, it's just free agents. They're, they're getting Acuna back, who yeah. was hurt for the half that season. They still won the World Series. So yep. their outfield depth is arguably stronger next year. Well, Eddie Rosario could be on the way out. True, but they could they could bring him back very easily. Yep. Why would you not want to bring back a guy who was a postseason hero for you? So there just are not a whole lot of moves that I could see between these two teams, unless the one thing I would say is maybe... They want another starter so badly that they fork over like four prospects for John Means. Maybe that that could happen. And for the, Tommy Malone and uh, the Orioles are not. Yeah, the Orioles are not willing, as we know. They're they're probably not eager by any stretch to trade John Means. But maybe the Braves make a Godfather offer for John Means. They see him fitting perfectly. But other than that, Acuna is on the table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one other move I could see is if Freddie Freeman signs signs elsewhere with the Yankees or Dodgers, maybe. Trey Mancini, another guy the Orioles probably don't yep. aren't itching to trade, but could be their first baseman uh, for 2021. That's actually a very good possibility. If Freddie Freeman leaves and the Braves need a first baseman, I could see them though. But that's a big if. I think Freddie stays. I think Freddie. Yeah, it's a huge if. And and even if he doesn't, maybe the Braves just go out and sign Anthony Rizzo. You know, yeah. they could they could fill that hole in free agency. They don't have to give up prospects. Right. But so the deal that I did have them making because I think those are lower end. Uh, probabilities is them trading for two relievers, Tanner Scott and Paul Fry, two lefties who are both one already got his money avoided arbitration. The other one in Tanner Scott is arbitration eligible. So he gets about a million dollars pretty cheap for guys who have proven to be effective left-handed relievers. And they would give up left-handed pitcher Dylan Dodd, who's a prospect, and right-handed pitcher Jared Johnson. So essentially, the Orioles are moving on from these two lefties in their bullpen, and they're getting two more young prospects. Dodd is 23 years old. He's the Braves' 19th-ranked prospect. He was a 2021 third-round pick who has reached as high as high A, so he's lower end. He's got great command. The Orioles, we've seen this them do this before where they trade for recent draft picks because they're guys that maybe they wanted to take in the draft but just didn't have enough picks or just didn't get to them at their pick. Maybe they were viewing him with a fourth-round pick and they wanted him but couldn't get him. The other guy, uh, Johnson, Jared Johnson, is 20 years old. He's their 30th-ranked prospect, 2019 fourth-rounder, and he's made it as high as single A, and he's got an elite fastball. So they get a good control guy, in Dodd and a good stuff guy in Johnson. Yeah, this one's tough because it's pretty low leverage to the point where I don't really know which team says no. I think the Orioles don't do this for the simple fact that I don't know if they want to trade two lefties out of their bullpen. 
because they don't have a ton to begin with, um, unless we're counting CNL Perez, who was just recently signed. So I don't know if the Orioles want to trade both Scott and Fry. I think maybe more realistically, I could see them moving one of them and getting one of those prospects in return. And that would make a little bit more sense. I think the Orioles would say no here, but also the prospects that you get in return make sense for a package deal of Tanner Scott and Paul Fry. The the question I would have is, I don't know if the Orioles are looking to move on from either Fry or Scott this offseason. The second half of 2021 that both of those guys had would scare off a lot of teams. Yeah. So to me, the the Braves in this deal would be mitigating their risk by packaging them together, by getting them both together and saying, you know, we're not, we're taking less of a risk by getting both these guys because maybe one of them or hopefully both of them will pan out as a good lefty in our bullpen. But on the same token, I think there's a chance that the Orioles don't want to move Scott and Fry yep. this offseason because you want to at least leave the door open for the possibility that they could get back to what they did in the first half of this past season. Yeah, I think they probably, the Orioles would rather build back up their value. Yeah, you don't want to sell low. Right. That's that's the concern. So that's right. why I had them kind of packaging them together in case the Orioles want to give some of those bullpen spots to some of the younger guys that they have. But again, I don't think this is a likely deal because I think the Orioles want to wait to see if Paul Fry, Tanner Scott can build rebuild their value going to next season and, and turn them into, once again, trade pieces at the deadline. Yeah. When they probably, the Orioles probably have more depth to replace them with in the bullpen. Well, and as John says on Facebook, thank goodness Elias is in charge and not us making these ridiculous <laughs> trades. Yeah. And Mike Elias has more decisions to make that don't involve these trades because, well, one, he can't make these trades right now because they're in a lockout. But two, we are, at the time of this recording, an hour and a half away from the minor league portion the of the phase Rule 5 draft. Of the Rule 5 I know draft. you've all been looking forward oh, to it. Yeah. Honestly, I'm surprised we are not doing I a live last night. Q&A show for everybody's questions and concerns about the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft. I love the Rule 5 draft. You saw how excited I got about the Rule 5 draft. Uh, concerningly, yeah. I just don't have that same level of excitement for the minor league phase. No, but we are getting, I mean, just overly excited for this Rule 5 draft. The yes. amount of prospects that the, we have started to look at. Five draft. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're compiling a list. Uh, that won't happen until after the, the lockout ends. Right. TBD as to when that will happen. But today, Michael Elias will get to decide who he wants to add to their minor league system via the minor league rule five draft. One other thing that I forgot to mention off the top of the podcast, Brendan, is that Freddie Galvis of our free agency bracket, which our producer Amy Jennings deftly removed from the screen during the course of this podcast. Didn't yes. even have to cut camera angles. Didn't even have to. Well, I was rambling and you rambling. vamped very well. I tried. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you did very well, but it was no different from any other rambling that you would do this is at true. any other point in any other podcast. That's so fair. she brought it off, but Freddie Galvis was on this free agency bracket. This one right here. Just imagine it right here in front of us. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, and Freddie Galvis may have found a new home overseas. Yeah, he was the sixth seed. I think he lost in the first round because he was matched up with everybody's favorite shortstop, Andrelton Simmons. Your favorite. 
Thank you. My favorite shortstop, Andrelton Simmons, which was a, a tough first round matchup to get. But yeah, Freddie Galvis is reportedly heading to Japan to play shortstop over there. And you know what? Major League Baseball lockout. Go get your bag, Freddie Galvis. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm wondering how many players we'll see do this because of the uncertainty with the lockout. Because we don't know yet if the lockout's going to impact games, but guys who are free agents can't sign anywhere, who are still out there on the market. So they're going to have to wait a while before they can make their deals. And right. I'm wondering if when we see this second wave of free agency and the scramble to sign guys, if some guys will be boxed out, there'll be game of musical chairs and you just have some second or third tier free agents just kind of left out there in the cold because, you know, left to sign really cheap deals because every team has already filled their holes. Yeah, and Galvis has kind of reached that point in his career where he's no longer the shortstop that you probably signed to be a starter somewhere. You sign him to be a good veteran presence who can play a quality defensive shortstop, and he's probably not your everyday starter. And if Freddie Galvis wants to be an everyday starter in baseball somewhere, maybe this just presents the best opportunity for him. Absolutely. So I think that deal, according to Yahoo, Yahoo Japan, is not finalized yet, but is being reported as close to to uh, done there. So the Orioles will probably look elsewhere for some more infield depth yeah. once the free agency freeze ends. That just about does it for our podcast today. We are going to be doing our Trey Mancini podcast next week, Brendan. <laughs> We've said it for seven months. There are no roster moves that the Orioles can make from now until then that will shock us to the point of being scared off of doing this podcast. We will do the Trey Mancini podcast. You what, say that now. What will the Orioles do with Mancini long-term? Of course, you can catch the podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast. Watch it live on YouTube and Facebook. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can get the Mass and All Access podcast. At Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks again to Amy Jennings. Terrific, outstanding job as our producer today, doing it all. Uh, thanks for following along, and we will catch you back in a week.